With Virgin Media, you can build up the entertainment and tear down the price. Switch to Virgin Media today and get super-fast broadband and TV for just €49 a month for an awesome 12 months. The sale that stacks up. Now on. See virginmedia.ie and check out how our mobile sales stacks up too. T's and C's apply. See virginmedia.ie. 12-month contract. Offer ends 27th of February 2019. Everybody. Hi, guys. Well, from gorgeous Salt Lake City, Utah, it's Thank God I'm Atheist, the podcast. I'm Dan. And filling in for Frank, I'm Mark. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Welcome back to the show. Yeah. To this show. I feel, it feels like uh, home. Coming home, that's right. It does feel like coming home. You, uh, you and I do a, a totally other show. We do. We have we have the, our hereticking and how to it. Yes. Yeah. We teach people how to uh, how to be heretics, but H- how uh, to do the heresy the way we do. Uh, um, but it's good to be here uh, sitting in for our friend Frank, who's feeling a little under the weather. I think. Yeah. Not doing. He's not doing so hot. So uh, so thank you so much for for coming in and happy to be here. And let's just let's all pray for him. Let, please do. Yeah. Please do. The power of prayer. Uh, our prayer. You know, our own our own president talked about that just recently at the <laughs> prayer breakfast. Did he talk about oh, yeah. the power of prayer? Oh yeah. And yeah. then and then apparently recently I also saw that uh the Dalai Lama tweeted that like he was skeptical about the power of prayer. So really nice. Yeah, something about like, you know what, the you we can all pray, but it's that's not how the world's gonna change. Well, you know, at the end of the day, Trump talking about the power of prayer makes as much sense as anybody else talking about it. So it's it makes more sense to me. Does it? Well, that man is not a smart man. No, no, he's a lucky man. <laughs> anyway, coming up on today's show at the in the latter portion, uh, I an interview that I did with one Bart Ehrman who or Ehrman who is a uh, an author author of the Triumph of Christianity, a book that just barely hit the shelves. It is hot off the presses. Hot off the presses, people. And it's interesting. Uh, it's a it's a history. Of uh, the little cult that we now call Christianity. I don't know. Have you heard of it? Uh, no. Are it's, they the ones? Which ones are they? They, they don't drink orange juice. That's right. <laughs> they don't drink. They don't drink fluids made by machines. Right. That's yeah, them. They, right. They have a whole. Uh, they have a whole thing. No. Uh, uh, no owls. And the curly sideburns. <laughs> no owls. <laughs> and no weasels. <laughs> exactly right. Well, that's it, a, that's, so. A call back to our other show. That's a call. You have, you call have to back, listen baby. to all the shows to to get all the jokes. There's all twenty two of them now. <laughs> I, you know what? I would actually be interested in reading that book because when you and I do stories about the Old Testament, which we we love to do, like we did Samson this, yeah. this week, uh, we always ask ourselves, how the fuck did this thing stick? <laughs> yeah, right? how the fuck did this this pile of garbage ideas make it? Yep. So uh, so listen to the interview and read the book. Yeah, indeed, indeed. I'll let you borrow mine. Thank you. I, I got the advanced copy because I'm, I'm very fancy. We're talking about the book, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Hey, uh, uh, do you want to start us off with a story? Sure, man. I'll start off with a, a fun story, and let's start off easy, huh? Sure. <laughs> let's start off with, uh, with hard right Christian uh, American radio personalities uh, co-opting the the uh, a poem referring to the Holocaust. In the defense of 
uh, cruel conversion therapy practices for LGBT youth. Okay, so nothing wrong so far. Right, I could probably stop there because everything everything so far makes sense. Is right. It's all according to Hoyle at this point. So, <laughs> uh, her name is Janet Mefford. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Thank God I've never heard of her, and hopefully I never will again. Uh, but she's a religious right radio host, and uh, she cited a poem about Jewish persecution during the Holocaust to defend her support for gay conversion therapists battling laws that would make the abusive practice illegal. Last Friday, Mefford dedicated a segment of her show to defending faith-based gay conversion therapy, oh. which she had, she attempted to rebrand what the Christians like to call it always is reparative therapy. Right. It's, because it's just repairing your straightness. Because we's broken. Your, your straightness is a little bit crooked. Yeah. So we're going to straighten not, you right out. We're not broken. We're bent, <laughs> as, as we like to say. Indeed. Look it up. Uh, and she claims that LGBT activists have told all kinds of lies about conversion therapy. Mm. Uh, Mefford said that liberals were on a, on a roll in making conversion therapy for minors an illegal practice in various states and faulted Christians who were not standing with so, so-called reparative therapists. Well, I'll give her that. We are on a roll. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, New it's, York. It's uh, very correctly being outlawed. Yeah. Uh, and that that is sweeping the nation. I know it's terrible news that torturing children with a bunch of phony bullshit is against the law. Right. It's, it's so, a bummer. It's so mean to the therapists, really, because all they're doing is something that's been proven to be not effective. In one trillion percent of cases. And hurts people. Right. And yet somehow they're supposed to, like, they have to stop. We're mandating that they stop. That's just wrong. It's just wrong. Um, so she said they're going to come after the churches. They're going to come after biblical counseling. They're going to come after any sort of, of spiritual counseling, no matter how mild it is. That's interesting that she put that in because she's realizing that there are less mild versions of this stuff. So, yeah. but it, Christian radio personalities are nothing if not stupid and inconsistent. So, <laughs> uh, and they're going to come after us next. She said, uh, she then cited the famous po uh, poem by uh, Martin Niemöller, uh, First They Came For, oh, right. uh, which was written in the aftermath of the Holocaust to oh, explain God. why. First, really? Yeah, yeah. So they, She gets access to First They Came For? That's great. That Yes, this is the problem with the First Amendment and why Dan and I are again it. <laughs> because assholes we disagree with are allowed to say what they want. And use, like, beautiful poetry and, like, powerful, powerful uh, thought. And then, like, just use it as toilet paper. So let me let me just. It's a very short poem. Yes, please. let me read that poem to any listener out there who's just came out of, just fell off a turnip truck and hasn't heard this. So right, this is this was right after the Holocaust. This was a German poem. Uh, first, they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Right. Now, here's her telling of that poem. <laughs> Which I think, I can't see any possibility but improvements. <laughs> see if you can spot the difference. So we're going to stand with them now. It's kind of like the old, first they came for the reparative therapist, and I didn't stand up because I wasn't a reparative therapist. <laughs> it's, it's kind of along those lines that Mefford said. Which is... Okay, so 
see, see if you can spot a parallel. I feel like what I feel like she thought that that poem was on the other side of the arg, of, of the Nazi question. Uh, right. That, so, okay, reparative therapy is an un, basically an unlicensed bullshit, quack pseudo religious uh, uh, piece of garbage that tortures children. Right. Nazis and, and adults and, and adults, adults. That's true. Specifically, it's being outlawed mostly to protect minors. But right. yes, but and adults. Nazis also tortured children and adults. Now, I don't know if there's a parallel, <laughs> right, right? But I might, I might uh, re- uh, refer her to uh, an excellent uh, uh, piece of literature, which was uh, a sketch from that Mitchell and Webb look, where two SS officers are standing in a trench. And wondering, are we the baddies? <laughs> right. And suddenly, just kind of putting together, why do we have a skull and crossbones on our head? <laughs> and having having a little long long dark night of the soul, realizing, oh, we are the baddies. I just, yeah, I mean, it does seem like her version is the uh, World War II equivalent to first they came for the foot soldiers, <laughs> then they came for the stormtroopers. Yeah, yeah. And- First, and, and and I said nothing because I was not a stormtrooper. First that, they came for the Luftwaffe. Then they came for the SS. And then they came for the Panzers. <laughs> we are the victims here. And I said nothing because I was the Führer. And yeah. then they came for me. Uh, yeah. And there was no one else. It is, it is, it is a fraught proposition <laughs> for anybody to try to take on the mantle yeah. of, of Holocaust meaning at, at the best of times. And I feel like... This wasn't the best of times, and she didn't really pull it off. Kids, don't compare anything to the Holocaust. Just yeah. let the Holocaust be its own thing. It's not your metaphor. That's, that's right. That's the answer to that. Especially you idiot woman. Okay. Right. All right, moving on. Speaking of idiot women, uh, well, she's not an idiot. There's a very nice little old lady. Well, she's not that old. Okay. There was a woman. You want to start over? Yeah. I'm just <laughs> going to cut this whole thing. Come in again. <laughs> In in the fine state of North Carolina, yes, uh, a state that we all love dearly, uh, there was a woman who worked in the court system who did not want to. She was a magistrate, mm. and one of her duties was to uh, to marry folk. Okay, uh, yep. you know she's a justice of the peace type of type of person, um, but she was a Southern Baptist. Oh, or is a Southern Baptist. Um, and she did not so so she was not going to do the the gay ones she uh she just couldn't bring herself to okay now she's interesting because she says things she says nice things like i don't want to stop gay people from being married and i think they should have the right to do so but it's against my religion to to marry queers so this is not that awful kid was it kim davis yeah it's not kim davis in arkansas or wherever she was right in in wherever shithole she's from right. state she's from anyway, whatever holler she <laughs> she crawled out of lives in a cave in uh so anyway uh so this is gail myrick uh who is who looks like everybody's nice uh grandma she's 68 years old uh so she she went to her supervisor said hey you know is can i just not do these and her supervisor said well maybe anyway uh it's gone through the court system yeah and a judge has now ruled that the case needs to be examined further. But in the meantime, uh, Myrick should should be given the option to not have to do married marriages that violated her her religious uh, beliefs. Okay. Now the ruling um, provides space 
and, and it's only she she can only opt out if uh, it will not uh, if a same so the quote is if a same sex couple seeking to wed wouldn't know that a government official intends to describe oh wait no that's not the quote from the from the thing ah uh, and the the point is that um, oh as long as it doesn't um, inconvenience inconvenience a couple okay. or or slow down their marriage or anything like that right then maybe then maybe so if there's another okay. clerk or whatever available right and then she just, would just say oh let me get so and so right tag me out i'm going to go in and i'll you know and somebody else can do the marriage right well that yeah i mean obviously that's it, it's bullshit that she is in a position where she can do that right but this is what i always wonder about these these conscientious objectors to other people having rights mm. like cake makers like right. florists like cl- clerks of courts right etc is okay you can make a big old stinky poo out of this and probably end up getting slapped with you know 200 something thousand in legal fees like kim davis did when you lose this if if that's what you want right or you could just be like oh shit let me get carol I've got this going on here. Right. Or if someone comes in and says, I want flowers for my fabulous wedding, you could say, we are so booked, we probably can't get you in. Like, well, does, does that make sense? Well, like, I mean, I, I'm going to object to the last thing you said, because if because if anybody has flowers for sale and a gay person wants to buy them, then they have to sell the flowers. They the have to sell them. But what I'm the, the workaround I'm suggesting to these shit bags, which I shouldn't even be doing, is... You're, I'm sorry, we're too busy to make a cake. We're too booked. Does that make sense? No, no. They it's have a terrible to make thing the cake. To do. They don't. No, no. You, you, as a provider of a service, it is possible that you are too swamped. Yeah, but what you're suggesting is that they just lie and pretend like they can't make the cake, and then the next couple that comes in, they they can make. They're the They're Christians. Cake. They lie all the time. I understand that, but that is not the right workaround. They just I have know. To, they just have to make the cake or stop I, being fucking. But bakers. as a thought problem i was wondering why they don't fucking do that okay just to avoid the problem just right pretend sure because probably the reason they don't do it is they want to make a big old fucking tornado out sure, of it. sure absolutely and right. you know that there have been plenty of cake makers who have just been like oh we are booked yeah that probably has happened like if i if i was a cake maker if i was the fabulous gay man that i am but also knew how to make a fucking cake which i don't <laughs> um if a nazi came in and said i want you to put a swastika on this thing I don't know. I probably would just go, I just don't have time. I'm sorry. Yeah, but you're not required to do that because you don't make swastika cakes. Mm. You don't make Nazi cakes. Right. You, but these people do make wedding cakes. I do, but they're very tasteful. Oh, very you know, tasteful swastika and, cakes. And sometimes a Nazi wants a very, very garish, ugly cake. And you're <laughs> yes. just like, no. Ugh, orange and black. And yeah, no. No, I right. make tasteful. I mean, I, I mean, I'll do the swastika, but it's going to be embedded in a beautiful, like, double-headed eagle sort of thing. <laughs> exactly. Very nice. Uh, there is more to this Myrick story, uh, which is that, yes, she had incurred some attorney's fees, uh, and she was actually awarded in a settlement $200,000 in damages and 115000 in attorney's fees. So not only, she was a, not only does she get to not do the marriages, but she was paid not to do them. Oh, that part, I don't understand. What state? North Carolina? North Carolina. Come on, guys. So that's, wow. that's fun. Now, I mean, at very least now we know that there's no motivation for Christians to raise a stink. Uh, about this sort of thing. Right. Because, uh, yeah, they might get paid. 
Well, fuck, guys. Elections matter. The winners pick who the judges are. Yeah, that's And the... they make decisions like this. So uh, register, vote. Yeah, all the things. Get off your asses. Yeah, what do you got? Well, <clears throat> I have, after, after some... Uh, a couple stories about crazy women. Uh, I have some. I have some very female affirming stories that I would like to share next. Oh, um, don't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then let's. Uh, I have a, a really shitty one in a minute, but let's start with a, a less shitty one. But it's, okay, it's equally infuriating. Oh, good. Um, a, a Catholic school may expel student over her Planned Parenthood laptop sticker. Hey. So uh, this is a Catholic high school in Greenwich. Connecticut, and I think I nailed both those pronunciations. I right? think so. I think that's um, exactly right. You uh, pronounced all the letters. That's how words work. That green witch mm -hmm. um, uh, at the sacred, the sacred heart green witch in Connecticut, Greenwich, is in trouble over a sticker that states, "I stand with Planned Parenthood." My God, yeah, can I you mean, believe she's uh, first of all the nerve of a woman. She's she's rebellious. Yes, she's standing. Recalcitrant and ignorant. I don't know if she's allowed to stand, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, or speak. And she's with somebody. Uh, mm -hmm. And does she even have a man's permission to be with them? Exactly right. Is and, one of the and, questions. So I'll, I'll skip ahead a bit. Boy, howdy, does she have a man's permission to put that on her on her laptop? Her dad. Oh, yeah. He's supportive. <sighs> Mom and dad are totally behind it, and they're like, "Nice." She gets to have this. She gets to have her opinion, and dad's like. I don't know why people don't understand that uh, abortions are just 3% of what Planned Parenthood provides. Right. Uh, and they provide all kinds of other things. Of course, the Catholics also dislike most of the other things they provide, like science-based science information, evidence-based yeah. uh, materials, contraception, yeah. uh, affirmation to women, uh, sure. all that sort of thing that the Catholics are not going to stand for. Right. So uh, she has been offered the opportunity to excuse me, remove the sticker and finish out the year. Okay. At in high school. Because that's it's it's so worth disrupting a young person's education to expel them over an adhesive. Mm -hmm. Right. On their own property. Right. That doesn't have any like it doesn't say fuck the patriarchy or, you know the Pope's a stank ass biatch. Right. Murder all the nuns. It doesn't say that. No. It just says, I, I stand with Planned Parenthood. I stand with Planned It doesn't even say, I use Planned Parenthood nope. services. Nope. Nope. It doesn't say any of those things. So uh, she's she's been, she can take the sticker off and finish the school year. She can leave the sticker on and finish uh, uh, or be thrown out immediately. But even if she takes the sticker off, they apparently don't want her back the following year. Wow. So hopefully Greenwich, Connecticut has another high school where this uh, <clears throat> this cool... Young woman can go because I think this Catholic high school is failing her. Yeah, and imagine the street cred she gets at the new high school when she's like, "Yeah, I was kicked out of my old high school for being like feminist and shit." Right. That's some. That's some badass street cred. Yeah. So uh, once again, religious people overreacting to the most minor things in the world. What? It's it's a dance as old as time. Nobody's ever heard of that. So that that was a nice short one, and uh, uh, she stands with Planned Parenthood. And we stand with her. Yes, indeed. Uh, and with Planned Parenthood. Indeed. I'm a donor. Uh, did you know that about Did me? you give them a kidney? I, 
gave the I gave them my uterus Did you give to them? study. You gave them sperm. They're like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's not really what we do here. <laughs> but I gave it anyway. Yeah, and I continue to give monthly. Yeah, and when the it's police took you to me, took you downtown, <laughs> uh, it saved you an Uber. Have you ever heard the word Chautauqua? Yeah, what is that? So, like back in the eighteen somethings, uh, there was this. It's in so- Illinois. There, well, there's there are Chautauquas uh, scattered about. Yes, um, there's a there's a town in upstate New York that I actually went to, mm. called Chautauqua, New York. Gotcha. Uh, that uh, that still has, um, it's like a summer community, and you go in there and you you they have arts programs and stuff. But they all started as these sort of Methodist, uh, almost campground i think this show today should just be you and i pronouncing strange american place names <laughs> i think don't you think i think that's it i think yeah. we've hit upon it it's what the people want it, it we and we like to give them what they want yeah. uh so anyway this 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 concept of a chautauqua these these sort of methodists that would go out and just have revivals in on in you know in pretty places or whatever mm. um has given rise to a few uh towns and stuff around the country uh, one of which is Bayview, Michigan. Mm. Um, Bayview, Michigan, as its name might suggest, is on a little bay uh, right on the lake there and apparently is quite lovely. It's a little obvious. <laughs> right? Yeah. You could be a little more creative. So, two guys who live in a town called Salt Lake City. <laughs> right. Yes, indeed. Um, anyway, uh, this place has, you know, obviously it's no longer a campground. Now it's a lovely community. It's got beautiful houses, most of which are summer homes for 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 fairly well-to-do people, mm-hmm. uh, and none of which can either you or I purchase. Okay. Uh, nor can most of our listeners, because uh, it ever since because since, we don't have all that fat Jew money since nineteen. 19- <laughs> That's one of the reasons. Right. Uh, since 1947, there has been a bylaw in Bayview forbidding anyone from buying or even inheriting a home there uh, with, who isn't a practicing Christian. No. That is the Lord's own truth right there, really? my friend. Yeah. In a, in a proper town? Like a in, town. In a town. Uh, it is a town that is run essentially by a uh, like a like a homeowners association sort of thing. The Bayview Association is kind of the ruling body over this town, and uh, they have this uh, this rule that's been in place since uh, ni- since 1947, and uh, and and it's it's problematic. There's a lawsuit in play uh, that's happening how, right now. How is it possible that it has not? This is this. Bullshittery has not been tamped down between now and 1947. Well, uh, it was actually strengthened in the Do 80s. the math. That's like 30 years ago. Yeah, or something. So, yeah, hold on. Let's carry the four. I can't, I can't. <laughs> we don't do math. Yeah. Uh, it was strengthened, actually, in the, in the 80s, I think. Uh, and now it's, uh, it, now it's under a lawsuit. In part because current owners, there's there you know this article that I read from the Guardian uh, had one mm. had an interview with one guy who owns a place there. You know his parents owned it. He loves it. It's his, it's his, uh, it's his most precious place. Yeah, uh, it's his happy place. He can't will it to his wife or children, they being Jews. No shit. He can't even like 
Yeah. That is that is crazy. Yeah. So the American the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, uh, basically considers this lawsuit a slam dunk. Uh, they they anticipate this law changing quickly. But Amazing. I just, Again, I can't believe it stood for all these years. Yeah. It's kind of remarkable. Uh, this law it stands. Uh, it bears noting. Uh, officially took effect at the same time it was introduced together with a white-only clause. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, uh, and then that was eliminated a decade okay, later. Okay, so that... Oh, yeah. So it's no law... So the white-only part was eliminated. Uh, for a while there, there was a Catholics... Catholics only got 10%. There was a quota. Couldn't get over 10% Catholic. Uh, that was eventually dropped. Wow. But the Christian-only requirement has been uh, soundly reinforced. That's, that is crazy. And I, I, first of all, I can't believe that in the HOA bylaws there isn't a subsection that would have mandated that man be stoned to death for canoodling with a Jew. <laughs> yeah, right? But maybe that, you know, maybe they didn't know that part of the... Or maybe that was, you know, that, that was there. That's one of the ones that was there and then they got rid of it. Jeez, that's crazy. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird, and I, you know, I bring it up just to remind everybody, we're not there yet. Well, you know, the, right, we're still not there yet, and there was another attempt, and I don't know what's happened with it. I haven't followed uh, up with this, but the the founder of Domino's Pizza, yeah, who's a hyper conservative Catholic. Remember, he wanted to start. He wanted to build a town called Celebration or something in in Florida. Yeah, and yeah. it was going to be all Catholic. Yeah, that was built. Oh, but, did it happen? Yeah, but I think it didn't turn out the way he wanted it to. I, we should do a follow-up of that. Kind of like when you order a Domino's pizza. <laughs> that doesn't turn out the way you intended yeah, it to. Yeah, what you ordered is not what you get. You know what? I will not have you shitting on Domino's pizza. Are they a sponsor? Uh, I want them to be. If they, Then they better hurry up. <laughs> yeah, they should. Before, wow. Before you say anything more. Uh, well, that's some Chautauqua bullshit right there. Yes, it is. Yes, wow. it is. What do you got? Well, um, you know, Dan, I know that you don't like TGA... IA to be a, a, a political show necessarily. Uh, we, we we certainly don't shy too far we, away from but it. We have, we have to address uh, the new reality of the great religious revival going on in this country Uh oh, under the greatest religious leader of all time. Oh. One Donald John Trump. That man. Yes. Yeah. The I've heard of him. The pastor in chief, the living embodiment of the seven deadly sins that has been rallied roundabout <laughs> by every Christian right wackadoo and pew filler in this country yeah so yeah um <clears throat> now he's really embodied the gluttony part pretty well super embodied <laughs> the gluttony the wrath sloth does golfing count as sloth well if you don't walk if you like literally swing from the golf cart <laughs> i think it, it is pretty fucking weird that donald trump probably gets more exercise than i do <laughs> Because he golfs nine times a week. Right. Um, so people probably have heard of this, uh, you know, it's 1,200 scandals a day. But one of the more recent ones was this guy, Rob Porter, ah, who yes. was called the staff secretary. It's a very specific job in the White House. A fairly senior aide in the White very House. Very senior aide. So he is, he's very, he's like the second in command to the chief of staff. Hashtag Donald Trump has AIDS. 
<laughs> okay. Um, so now you really derailed me there. Sorry about that. And I hope that's true. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so there's the uh, the chief of staff of the White House is kind of the co-president. It's one of the most powerful positions in the world, right? Because he, you control who comes in, who has access, and what information comes in and out. Yeah. And the the, the staff secretary is the guy who handles that inf- the information. So to handle that information, which much of which is at least sensitive, some of it is extremely top secret, like the top is top secret right. stuff. All you, of the classifieds. You have to have a security clearance, and the security clearance is granted to you after an, a, a process that the FBI conducts. Right. Now, if you have anything in your past that is compromising, and these, these questionnaires that people fill out, I can't remember what the form is, F, F-86 or something. This form I think is that's a fighter jet. Is very it's the invisible fighter jets he was <laughs> boasting about. Uh, this form is very, very, very detailed. Right, and they interview the the people surrounding you. Yes. They interview everybody. Right. If you have an unpaid parking ticket in your teens, they're going to find it. Right. You have to say every time you've used any drugs, who was with you when that happened, etc., etc., etc. So, if you have something a little more egregious than you smoked weed in college, let's say. You beat the shit out of two of your former wives who have restraining orders against you. Okay. Sure. You know, let's just game this out. Okay. The FBI is going to find that out. Yes. Then the Especially F- if the wives are, like, uh, very willing to talk about that. Right. And have photographic evidence. Right. And we can talk about some hilarity of that photographic evidence. In a, not that she was wrong, but what? <laughs> Nothing's funnier than a, than a picture <laughs> than of a, a beaten woman. <laughs> the, the cover story he came up with is hilarious. Oh, but, okay. Um, so... The, uh, this was found out about this guy. The FBI reported it to the White House, and the White House is like, whatever. Mostly because it's obvious that that is not a disqualifying uh, uh, pattern of behavior to this White House. No, this White House uh, sees, fact, sees the, the, the violence against a woman as uh, probably a pro. Right. I would bet Rob Porter probably put that on his resume. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? So now it's turned into this huge falderall and scandal, and everybody's got... You know, all the stupid men have egg on their faces, which I don't give a fuck because these women have black eyes on their faces. So related experience beat two women into divorcing me. So that's a little backstory to what this story is, which is in the wake of Rob Porter allegations, Mormon women say leaders encourage them to stay with their abusers. So BuzzFeed did a huge story on, uh, you know, contacted a bunch of put the word out to Mormon women to come forward and talk about this Because this guy was Mormon. We should make it clear. This guy was Mormon. I think he's a Salt Laker. Oh. I think he's a BYU graduate and a Salt Laker. There you go. Um, so, yeah, he's one of ours. <clears throat> uh, Maybe he'll come back and we'll all get a chance to beat him up. So, basically, BuzzFeed got all these women to talk, dozens of women to talk to them. And then later in the story, it says dozens more came forward that they just couldn't get all into the story. Right. Um, so, you know, someone like this, all these women are just using their first names sure. for their protection. Uh, it says, as Jody read this, uh, read news this week that a top aide to the president, Trump had alleg- allegedly abused his ex, his two ex-wives. She was sitting at work trying not to cry. These stories of women made my heart hurt because that's my story. Uh, Jody said, I feel like there are hundreds of women, thousands of women in Mormonism with stories like this who stay because their bishops tell them to. And it, I mean, I, I highlighted some stuff, but there's so much in it, including yeah. one woman that was violently raped by her husband uh, and wanted to leave him. And the bishop said uh, that I needed to support and sustain the priesthood, and that my husband's career would be at risk 
if I didn't if I didn't move with him because they were moving somewhere and support him. Uh, Jenny uh, said that her husband started physically abusing her soon after their marriage in the early 90s. She eventually suffered a broken jaw and had a big chunk of her hair ripped out. My bishop at the time told me I needed to work work it out and figure out what I needed to do to fix me. Uh, I got told that maybe if I lost a little weight, he wouldn't cheat. <laughs> As the wife, you're the one who sets the tone in the family. Yeah. Um, this is, I, you know, it's definitely a problem in Mormonism. Uh, in yeah. Mormonism, first of all, Mormonism's cute because they've got the lay clergy. So each of these bishops that they're talking about is just a guy in the ward. He's a guy that sells cars, and he just came up in the rotation. Yeah, it's uh, he, yeah. so he has no training in any sort of thing. And we've talked about this. Frank and I have talked about this, you know, a lot. But the fact of the matter is that, yes, this is a thing in Mormonism. and But it's a thing in so many religions. Yes, of All course. of these religions are designed to help the perpetrator and not the victim. And the per- and it is and it is 99.999 times out of 100 it is the man. It's always the man. Well, yeah. yes. Th- yeah. That's what patriarchy fucking means. Right. Right. Exactly. Um so then they, you know, they talk to a woman uh in Provo who's a prosecutor. And uh she talks quite a bit about she's been in 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 uh the county attorney's office, the district attorney's office for 30 years or something. And she says, as a prosecutor, I've seen bishops many times come in and speak on behalf of the defendants in these domestic abuse cases. Right. In, I have never seen one talk in support of victims, never in 26 years. Jesus Christ. This is the yeah. problem. See, the, you know, because what you've got is a system where the man is the head of the household. Yes. That's a fact. That's just uh, how God intended it. Yeah. And the man has super magic Jesus powers uh, given to him. At 12. <laughs> right. At fucking 12 years old. Well, that's just the basic version. And then right. you get upgrades as you... Well, you get up... Yeah, but you have the power... You remember being told at 12 years old, we had the power to fight Satan. <laughs> when I was 12, my superpower was a boner that would not quit. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and the... Uh, you know, when when you do that, when you say the man's... And, and then you say, you know, the Mormons don't tell women that they can't work. But they do tell women that it's better if they don't. Right. And that the man is the head of the household. And, and they, they have this whole sort of idea that the man should be the one bringing home the bacon. If it doesn't work out that way, nobody's like really up in arms about it. But it but once you set that up. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, men are the pillars of the community and whatnot. Yeah. Suddenly when, when one of them, <clears throat> you know, and this is the same guy that they've all been going to church with every week and they like him and you know he gave that really good lesson the other you know a few yeah. months ago in priesthood meeting or whatever yeah and then and then you know this wife comes to the bishop and says you know this guy beat me right uh, th- again this guy with no training this guy with no training is going to say well but but what about your family you don't want to break that up yeah what a, he's such a good man otherwise he's such a you know maybe we can fix this yeah instead of Oh shit! He beat you. What can I do for you? Right, and in the in the case of Rob Portman at the White House, his you know he wasn't in the White House yet, but he used to be the chief of staff for uh, Orrin Hatch. Oh right, and he was told, and during that time, uh, one of the wives was told by the bishop, his career in conservative politics is too important for you to interfere with. Right. So if you make a fuss about this, that's going to affect his job, and that you know how important getting these tax cuts <laughs> are to us. It's, like, yeah. She was told basically that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. yep <clears throat> and yep, then yep. here's the funny cover story that you'll die. 
the woman with the black eye, his he said that the reason that happened is they were on their honeymoon in Florence and they were quarreling, a word he used, okay. quarreling over a vase. <laughs> and the vase slipped and, and she flew backwards and the vase hit her in the face. Mm. Mm. Who among us has <laughs> not quarreled over a vase in Florence? You know, it happens to the best of us. That is frankly. the gayest excuse for wife beating I've ever <laughs> heard in my life. So Mormon bishops who do this sort of thing, just a, a, a polite go fuck yourselves from from us here on your favorite podcast. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, I've got one last story. This is this comes to us from uh, Seville, Spain. I think it is. Sevilla. C. Uh, where a, a a boy, a kid. Yes. Uh, the boy of Seville. It's a wonderful. It's, a, it's story. Yeah, it's a great opera too. Yeah. Um, was it? Oh, actually, it's a, he's in the town of he's he's near there. He's well. in a smaller town. Anyway, um, he took an image of uh of a Christ on a crucifix, mm-hmm. uh, and he, he photoshopped his own face onto it. Okay. What was the just for a, a, just for a shits lark? and giggles? Who knows? A lark. It was a lark. A goof. Indeed, he was yeah. having some fun with Photoshop. Sure, as one can do. Learning a skill. He was breaking the law. Huh? Is what he was doing. Huh? Uh, the the Christ that he used belongs to the uh, Hermandad de la Amargura, Amargura, uh, which is the the Church of the Brotherhood of Bitterness. <laughs> and boy, did those bitches live the up to their name. The Brotherhood of Bitterness? Yeah. So they're, uh, Sheesh. they got super bitter on him and said, hey, you can't, that's our Jesus. You can't put your face on that. And they sued him. And apparently in Spain, there are don't hurt religious feelings laws. These garbage laws. And he, and apparently, yeah. And literally it is like, that is the crime. He attacked religious feelings. Uh, he, oh, they, they are bitter, and so they uh, they sued him and uh, or, or or pressed charges, and he was fined uh, four hundred and eighty euros. Come on, is he a minor? Yeah, he's like a kid. Come on, I don't know if he's a minor. He might he might be uh, he might be I don't know. I don't have an age for him. Anyway, uh, he's young enough that he doesn't doesn't have you know the equivalent of about six hundred dollars. So. He's been apparently working... In- well, the real crime here, obviously, is that he pirated Photoshop. <laughs> right. He couldn't buy it. Uh, you know, they got it on the on the computers down to the library. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> anyway, it's just amazing that, like, literally, what he did was so fucking nothing. Right. It's like, remember, I think you guys covered it. There was this story in the States where some kid took a picture of him, like, pretending to have oral sex with a Jesus statue. Uh-huh. And he was... the. They were going after him, like, yeah. and it wasn't. It wasn't like a property. Uh, it wasn't like tort law. It was a crime. They were trying to charge him with a crime. So dumb. Um, well, I'd say to those asshole brothers of whatever in Spain, don't be bitter. Be better. You know, what you I mean? did it. You nailed it. Yeah, that's a good. You know, I, what I say is, all of you listeners, hey, why don't you email uh, the Her- Hermandad de la Amargura? A picture of your face on there, Jesus. I love it. Let's do a community art project. Yeah. That's really fun. Or your face or whatever you want. Or whatever you want. Yeah. Your penis. Put your penis onto Jesus. See you what know, they say about that? They're sitting around being bitter. They could probably use a laugh. Yeah. They probably don't have email. They Well, 
we can we can we'll tag them in their in their Twitter page or whatever. Anyway, uh, if you have better ideas on how to deal with this sort of thing out there in uh, in listener land, please uh, don't hesitate to write into us. Podcast at thankgodimatheist dot com, or you can uh, you can call us. You can get your voice on the air. Um, our our phone number, if I can remember it, is four two four six six six. Uh, eight four four two four two four six 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 TGIA is 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 the number to call to get your voice onto the thing. Uh, go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash TGI Atheist, and uh, once you're there, you can also search the for the TGIA members only lounge and ask to join, and we'll let you in, and then you can uh, participate in that fine community. And you can probably post a lot of uh, of uh, photoshopped. Bit, bitchy Jesus brother pits. pictures. Yeah. yeah, get those on there. Do it. Absolutely. Well, uh, okay, so, Mark, you are not Frank. I no. I don't know if you've noticed this about yourself. Well, I can, I can be Frank. I can be Kurt. I can be short with people. I can be blunt, but I, I am not... F- Frank Feldman of the Thank God I'm Atheist podcast. Indeed. Um, Those are big shoes to fill, buddy. Indeed. So what we're not going to do, uh, just I need I need my Frank here uh, to do some certain things. For instance, I'm, we're not going to talk about, we're not going to do emails. We're not going to mm. do voicemails today. Okay. Um, uh, just because that that's a, that's a Frank thing. Frank bears that burden. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Um, but I do, I do. I am going to mention really quickly with you. I don't know if you know this, but some men grow f- facial hair. Yes, they get f- hair all over their face. I don't know why. Why is that? It's the testosterone. It's it's something. Yeah, it's something in the genes. It's, yeah. Maybe it's in the water. We don't know. But not everybody wants to keep it. Sure. And even those of us who are bearded mm-hmm. need to clean up. Well, Leviticus forbids uh, rounding the corners of your beard. <laughs> well, which is why we atheists need to do more of it. Yeah, so so proceed advisedly. Right, indeed. Uh, so uh, what we're talking about here is is Harry's, uh, which is a mail order sub- subscription-based shaving company. Yeah. And they're great. Uh, you know, I... Frank and I both use Harry's. I don't know if you've ever used it before. No, but I'm going to. But I'm going to encourage you to do so. All right. Um, in part because it's free uh, to try out, and we'll get to that in a bit. But uh, Frank and I both have used it. Um, it's a it's a really smooth shave. Yeah. You get a five-blade cartridge. None of the none of the stuff you don't need. It does, it's not, it's not going to vibrate. It's not going to, like, it doesn't have a, a lubricating strip. Because right. the news is, that's all just like gimmicks. Right. And this is just good shaving. So you so you're going to get your sh- a, a great shave yes. at a better price than you're right. going to pay in, in the thing and it comes to you. You don't even have to like go to the store to get it. So you're never going to be without. So, uh if you want to, you can go to uh harrys.com/tgia uh and you're going to get your free trial set and that includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle. Uh, five precision engineered blades. Um, it does have the. Uh, I, I was wrong. It has a lubricating strip on yes. the thing, but it's not the. But it's not one of the. It doesn't have. Uh, you know, goofy, goofy things like fifteen different strips. Doesn't need a thing. battery. No, indeed. Uh, 
you get uh, the shave gel, which uh, Frank and I have talked about, is actually great shave yeah. gel. Yeah, and smells nice too. Uh, and a travel blade cover. You get all of that free in your trial set. All you have to do is pay for shipping. It comes straight to you. Um, so go to harrys.com slash TGIA. Uh, that's how you get the deal. And uh, and then and then you're off to the races. So go to harrys.com slash TGIA. Get the deal. You'll be a, you'll be a clean-shaven man. Square the corners of that beard, or round the corners of that beard, or whatever it is. Do whatever you gotta right. do. All right. Uh, coming up today, we are we're, we're going to talk to uh, Bart Ehrman. This is a, a conversation that I had with him. A really, really smart guy. Yeah. Uh, so let's just uh, let's just listen to that. Go to the interview. Uh, well, friends. Today, we've got a special treat. Uh, we, on the Thank God I'm Atheist show, don't do a lot of interviews anymore. Uh, but every now and then, someone comes along that, that we're really fascinated to talk to. And this is one of those times. Uh, today, we've got Bart Ehrman, Dr. Bart Ehrman here, uh, author of just innumerable books on uh, the New Testament the historicity of Jesus, all sorts of wonderful things. Uh, Bart Ehrman, thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You, sir, are a very interesting uh, figure in 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 uh, the discussion of Jesus Christ and his uh, his walk on this earth and his legacy thereafter. Uh, do you want to talk about sort of your journey in uh, this being your field of study and, and how you came to, to, to make Jesus the, the sort of the locus of, of your life's work? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit unusual uh, because uh, most New Testament scholars are, of course, uh, committed Christians uh, and uh, church people, and I'm not. Uh, I'm an agnostic uh, atheist. Uh, and... Uh, but, you know, like, like almost everyone else in this field, I started out as a Christian. Uh, I was raised as a Christian, and uh, when I was in high Oh, shoot. Bart, can you hear me? I've lost you. You lost me. Okay, yeah. Uh, so now you're back. You just okay. fro- you f- We froze up a little bit. So uh, maybe you can start again with uh, just talking about... Uh, yeah. Being... I'll start the whole answer over again. Great. Uh, do you need me to lead you in, or can you just launch in? Uh, no, I can just launch in. But I'm wondering why we got cut off there. Yeah, it just seemed like a a, a bit of a lag. Uh, uh, is your is your internet connection? You feel solid with it? Yep, I'm good with it. All right. Well, we'll just we'll just assume that it was uh that it was just a fluke. Okay. Good. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm a, a bit of an oddity because most uh, most New Testament scholars are themselves uh, Christians and committed church people, uh, and I'm not. Uh, I uh, I started out though as a uh, as a Christian, which is how I got interested in the field. Uh, I was raised Christian, and then in high school I had a born again experience and became a fundamentalist Christian. Mm. I went off to a fundamentalist Bible college, uh, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And uh, did a degree there, and um, I got interested in the study of the New Testament by uh, well, for out of religious reasons, because I wanted to uh, to know what God had told people, and the Bible's where He told it. (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) Yeah. So that's yeah. So I I, yeah, I absolutely got into it uh, for religious reasons before I became an atheist. Fascinating. You know, it's so funny because I think a lot of people, uh, you know, obviously. 
uh, we're atheists here, and and but we still do a show that is largely centered on uh, religion and society. I I I think those of us who leave the church often need to uh, often want to stick around and uh, and think about it and talk about it. It's a it's a it becomes it can become quite a fascination. Well, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I went to a conference a few years ago to the American Humanist Association conference, and uh, everyone there was agnostic uh, and or atheist, and I was surprised uh, because. Uh, I my the conferences I normally go to are are conferences with scholars of biblical studies, but at this uh, American Humanist Association meeting, uh, I, I had never been to a meeting before that talked so much about religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's it, that's a real thing. Um, so you so you've you've left the church, uh, but you're still you're you're still uh, make your studies of Jesus. You believe in a historical Jesus, is that correct? That's right. I think there there absolutely was a man, Jesus, who lived at one point and uh, was a Jewish teacher and uh, considered himself to be a prophet uh, who was crucified. Uh, I think the, the basics of the stories, the histo- history that people know about, I think the basics are probably true. Hmm. Well, uh, and that brings us to your new book, uh, which isn't about Jesus himself, but is about the 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 rather meteoric rise of Christianity from uh, from a tiny little Jewish cult into uh, the dominant Western religion. Right. Yeah. So this uh, the book uh, is has just come out. Uh, it's called The Triumph of Christianity, and uh, that's exactly what it's about. Uh, the the question driving the book is uh, if if the New Testament's right, and on this point I don't know how it could be wrong. I mean, right after Jesus' death. There weren't very many people who believed in him. Uh, in the New Testament, there are 11 men and a handful of women, so maybe 20 people. Uh, these are lower class, uh, illiterate day laborers from a remote part of the empire. And the question in the book is, uh, how is it that by the beginning of the fourth century, there are three million Christians? Indeed. <laughs> how, how do you get from 20 people like that? To three million, <laughs> and so that's what I try to explain in the book is how this how this happened, and then you know eventually, of course, Christianity becomes the religion of the Roman Empire and becomes the religion of the entire West, and takes over uh, Western culture. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a really important question, and it's and it's a particularly intriguing one. Yeah, I was I was particularly interested. I, I loved reading your your story about being in Athens uh, and standing where Paul stood. At the uh, at the Areopagus, Areopagus. I, I don't Areopagus. know how to pronounce that, uh, yeah. and and uh, and realizing that Paul won. Yeah, well, there there he is, uh, you know, talking to a group of philosophers who who uh, you know, and telling them about the resurrection of Jesus, and they're just kind of rolling their eyes, you know, and they're not. It's not like they're challenged or threatened or anything. They're just kind of amused. Uh, and he's standing on this 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 craggy rock that uh, is called the Areopagus, Mars Hill, and it's right between uh, this, the, the Areopagus is still there. It's just this rocky crag. It's right between the uh, the Agora, the famous uh, Athenian Agora, which has all these cultural works in it, uh, including temples and stoas and things. And up above, you can see the Parthenon on the on the Acropolis. This fantastic Greek culture on either side. And Paul's here on this craggy rock where there's nothing, and even there he doesn't make a splash. <laughs> and, and when I was standing on that rock looking down and looking up, I thought, oh, my God, you know, Paul Paul actually won. He he defeated the massive civilization of 
of Greece and Rome, and it's quite an astounding story. Is Paul the the? Do you think Paul's influence? Uh, I mean, obviously he uh, he sort of dominates the the New Testament. Do you feel like Paul's influence was what was what really launched Christianity? Well, what so I you know I talk a lot about that in the book, and I talk about you know was Paul the founder of Christianity, or did Paul start Christianity? And I think the answer to that is no. I mean, Paul was persecuting Christians before he became a Christian, and presumably these Christians believed something. So the Christianity was around before Paul. But I think the real difference that Paul made was that he he was the first maybe the first to realize and certainly the first to propagate the idea that if somebody was a pagan who worshipped many gods uh, and they wanted to become a follower of Jesus, they didn't have to become Jewish first. Uh, If they were a man, they didn't have to get circumcised. They didn't have to follow kosher food laws or observe the Sabbath. They could remain Gentile uh, without becoming Jewish. And I think that opened the floodgates for the possibility of pagans who made up 93% of the world. I think that uh, opened the floodgate for pagans to come into the into the church. Yeah, I suppose uh, telling people they didn't have to cut part of their penis off would be a big plus. In- well, you know, if, uh, if that's the requirement, you're not going to get masses of converts. <laughs> no. Well, you never know. I, I, I find the, uh, the rise of different religions to be a, a fascinating and slightly baffling uh, pursuit uh yeah me, well, especially yeah. coming from a mormon background i think that it's uh ah, it can be quite right. amazing right yes no i mean it's always interesting you know why one religion or another spreads and i would say that probably each religion that you know there's a, a different set of historical circumstances and uh and it just strikes me that christianity is especially important because of its massive influence on the west yeah, uh, well, I don't think anybody at this point would argue that Christianity is not historically important. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, think that it's, I think that it's made its mark pretty indelible. Maybe, yeah, so. you know, we all know sort of broad strokes uh, uh, what the story of Christianity and its rise. We can all sort of point to some very, some very uh, giant mile markers, um, Constantine being sort of one of the biggest – Maybe you can just sort of give us a give us what your view is of the of how Christianity just you know obviously your your book goes into great detail maybe you can give us some some broad strokes in terms of uh how Christianity became the behemoth religion that it is today well, you know, when I started writing the book, I thought that Constantine was probably the key. I think that's what a lot of people think, is that it was the conversion of Constantine that did it in the early 4th century. He was the first Roman emperor to become a Christian, and after that, millions of people started converting. Uh, what I try to show in my book is that that's probably wrong. Uh, I, I, I came to think that uh, Constantine's conversion is actually not the thing that did it, uh, that even if Constantine hadn't had not converted— uh, Christianity probably still would have taken over given the way it was going. Um, so again, you know, it, it is a kind of a long story, so I won't get into the whole thing, but I will say that there was something different about Christianity that really that really affected its spread. Or two, two things I argue in the book. Mm. One is it was the only religion in the Roman Empire that was trying to get converts. Uh, the other religions just didn't care whether you converted to worship God, the, their God the way that they did. Uh, because everybody was a polytheist, and if you wanted to worship a new god, you just started worshiping that new god. You didn't have to stop worshiping the other god, and so there was no reason to try and convert anybody, because all the gods deserve to be worshipped. I see. Um, 
Yeah, so the, fir the first thing is the Christians were evangelistic. They were trying to get converts. But the other thing is equally important. It's this business that Christianity is the only religion in the empire that's claiming we're right and you're wrong. And since you're wrong, you're going to, uh, you're going to pay an e eternal consequence. Uh, when you die, uh, you're, you're going to go to heaven or hell. And if you're not a Christian, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> right. And so the, the Christians are the only ones saying this. Uh, uh, the other religions didn't care whether you started worshiping their religions because they didn't think that worshiping one religion or another had any effect on the afterlife. And it's not that one religion was true, therefore the others are false. They're all, they're all true for the other religions, right. except, for, except for Christianity, with a partial exception of Judaism. But, but Judaism um, you know, didn't, wasn't evangelistic. They didn't, Jews didn't care whether you became a Jew. They, they just wanted to be a Jew. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the yeah. so so yeah that the, that whole a, a the 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 uh, evangelizing thing is is a quite a big uh, innovation and yeah I feel like that, uh, uh, what a fascinating point to invent a an eternal hell that's that's a huge uh, yeah that's a that's a huge thing uh, innovation in religious thought. Well, and to say that, you know, you, I mean, there were, there were, of course, there were people throughout history who thought something's going to happen in the afterlife. And there were people who thought that if you're really a rotten schmuck, you're going to you're going to pay a price afterwards. But there, there weren't any religions that said that you're going to be punished if you've got the wrong religion. Uh, but that's exactly what the Christians said, uh, that there's only one truth. We have the truth. And if you don't subscribe to our truth, then you're going to pay an eternal price. And since they're the only religion saying that, then when you convert to Christianity, you have to give up the other religions. Mm. And no other religion had that. But that meant every time you have, say, 100 people convert to Christianity, that's 100 people who leave pa paganism. And... Over time, if you're just if you're just getting three or four converts every year out of a say you've got a hundred of you and you get three or four converts every year, over time that's going to add up uh, so that uh, when you, when there's a million of you and each hundred people are getting three or four, that you're talking about many thousands of people every year converting then. Uh, and so it's what I argue in the book is it's kind of like an exponential curve, uh, and that by the time Constantine converts, it it's going to be taken over pretty soon. Yeah, that's a that that is a I mean I, again as someone who was raised Mormon, I can I can definitely testify to the effectiveness of proselytization and uh going out there and just trying to get some converts. It Well, well, here's something that even uh, most of you Mormons don't know. So, our uh, former Mormons, so uh <laughs> the the growth rate of the Mormon church from the time it was founded until uh just uh recent years was about 43% a decade. Hmm. If you calculate the rate of Christian growth from the time it started over the first 300 years, it's about 40% a decade. So in other words, the Christian church is growing at about the rate that the Mormon church grew, uh, which I think means that in 200 years, all of us are going to be Mormons. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> we'll, we'll have our own. Uh, Mitt Romney will be our Constantine. Yes, exactly. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, one of the one of the things that you talk about uh, a little bit that you touch on in your book uh, is the losses that uh, that the world experienced when Christianity took over. Uh, you wrote a really interesting quote. You said um, uh, one of the things that we lost was a world that separated religion, ethics, philosophy and myth into distinct fears, spheres of human thought and life. And yeah. that that to me really hit home. Uh, that that felt like 
that felt like a very real loss. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. And, and you know, the thing, the, the, well, okay, so when I, when I talk about loss, I'm going to talk about that, and I also talk about, you know, uh, of course, there's loss of uh, all sorts of pagan culture. I mean, uh, statues and temples and shrines, buildings, uh, literature just got done away with, and, and, you know, masses losses there. But then also there's this loss of religious diversity, where you have this— You've got hundreds and thousands of religions in the Roman Empire, and people who followed these religions really uh, were committed to them, and they they got they got wiped out. <laughs> right. And so you, you not only lost those religions, but you also lost the commitment to religious diversity. Uh, Christianity was not a big believer in religious diversity. They believed in one truth, uh, not many truths, and so all of the, all of that together uh, makes for a pretty pretty big set of losses, I think. Well, and it and it sort of gives it, it sort of gives birth to the era of the 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 battling truths. I mean, you know, when you look forward into the the rise of Muhammad and his his new religion, I, Christianity sort of uh, was was the the stepfather, you know, of 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 that kind of thinking. Well, that's right. I mean, in the, you know, in the modern world, in in America today, at least, most people think that you're one thing or another. You know, if you're a Baptist, you're not also a Buddhist. Uh, you know, if you're a Mormon, you're not a Muslim. And, you know, because these are exclusivistic religions. But the idea of insisting on exclusivistic religion, that, that didn't spread around the world at all until Christianity came. The only thing kind of like it was Judaism. And But again, I mean, Jews, they were distinctive. And Jews said, look, if you're going to be Jewish, you can't be pagan. But... Um, but, you know, that that was just a religion of a small minority of people who weren't interested in convincing anybody else. So it's really Christianity that, that brings to the West this consciousness of exclusivity. Yeah, you know, we, you talk about the loss of, of all of these sort of cultural things, the loss of, the, uh, of, of pluralism in uh, religious thought, that sort of thing. In the book, you said that the, you said, quote, the ancient triumph of Christianity proved to be the single greatest cultural transformation our world has ever seen. That's yeah. a pretty bold claim right there. Yeah, well, but try and find a bigger cultural transformation in the West. I mean, uh, you know, it, you just think about all of the just think in terms of high culture, um, literature, art, music, uh, or think about philosophy or, you know, how you you simply would not have. I mean, just think of our literary canon. You you couldn't have had Chaucer or Milton or Shakespeare or the Victorian poets or I mean, because they're all deeply rooted in Christianity. So what I argue is, you know, we would have had something else, obviously. I mean, there, there would have been some kind of culture and it, it might have been better. It might have been worse, but it, it certainly would have been different. Right. Uh, and so without without Christianity, what we think of as culture in the West simply wouldn't have existed. Yeah, it does seem like it. It. it it has influenced every facet of everything for a very long time now. Yeah. Do you see yeah. uh, a, 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 a similar cultural revolution happening uh, sort of late 19th, early 20th century uh, as, as enlightenment or as, as, as new thinking comes along as, as new uh, atheism starts to, to burgeon you. I mean, you open your book with a 19th century poet yeah. Uh, with a with a poem by by Arnold uh, or by Matthew Arnold, uh, yeah. that that sort of seems to be signaling a new way of thinking. 
Well, that's, you know, when I was just trying to think about the significance of this cultural revolution of Christianity, I, I was I was taken back to the 19th century. I, I, I love the 19th century. I, I tend to read novels, 19th century novels, or the things that I tend to read, and I, I really am drawn to the 19th century be, precisely because everything is changing again. Uh, where it's an age of science and people begin realizing uh, that we evolved and that the earth is not just uh, 6,000 years old. And, uh, you know, and so everything is changing and that creates huge doubt for people like uh, the, this Victorian poet, Matthew Arnold. And uh, their entire world was shifting under their feet. Um, I, would, I would argue that the, the, uh, the effect of Christianity taking over the world was more significant, but that's mainly because um, Christianity actually took over the West, and so far at least, uh, atheism hasn't taken over the West. Give uh, us time. It, yeah, well, it may happen. It may happen. <laughs> I mean, certainly uh, there are far more now than there were 50 years ago, and uh, so who knows what's going to happen, and if it does happen, that will be an equally significant revolution. Yeah, it does seem to me that, like uh, just the shift of how th people thought from from you know in in ancient Greece and ancient Rome to uh to now or to you know to to the Christian era to the grand Christian era it seems seems to be as pervasive a shift as could possibly have happened uh, well you know it shifted you know you you move from kind of Greek rational thought to you know in other words how how do you know if something is true well in greek rational thought you you have to use your reason and you have to figure it out and you argue it out and you look at the evidence and you come to you draw a conclusion when you get to the middle ages how do you know something is true well if god says so <laughs> that that's a big difference <laughs> that's that's a pretty major shift that is a that that's about as giant a shift as you can get and it yeah. seems to you know to to me to to probably most of my listeners, that seems like a huge, giant, backwards move. Well, it can seem that way. But, you know, even in the Middle Ages, when you have serious philosophers and theologians, um, these are people who actually do understand Greek philosophical thought, and they apply it to Christian theology. But the basis for truth uh, does be, be, begin to be different. Um, and so uh, I think maybe looking at it from a modern scientific point of view, it could look like it was a backward move. Um, and some people would certainly understand it that way. Um, on the other hand, it, it had some positive sides to it, too, including, you know, again, all the great culture we got out of it. And so my, my argument in the book is that any triumph also uh, involves a loss. And that as a historian, I don't really make a final judgment. You know, was it a good thing Christianity took over? Was it a very bad thing? Um, I, I argue, well, good or bad, uh, it was certainly significant. Right. <laughs> and it changed all of our lives. And so it's really worth studying. It seems to me to be a, a very human thing. It seems to me like uh, what Christianity uh, tapped into is something that's very basic to humanity. Uh, you know, maybe it's a desire to be right Maybe it's a desire to be on the on the correct side of things. Maybe it's a desire, you know, to have an authority over you or someone that you can go to that makes you feel like, you know, you you have the truth and and everybody else doesn't. I don't know. It it, yeah. it but it does seem like there's something uh in the appeal of Christianity that 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 gets to the heart of kind of a very basic uh part of being human. 
Well, in the modern world, at least, what I would argue is, I mean, the very modern, like today, uh, what I would argue is that there, there is certainly a quest for certainty in our world. And that is one of the reasons why, why very, very conservative Christian churches are the ones that are growing while the liberal churches are dying. The liberal churches like to ask questions, and the conservative churches like to give answers. Hmm. And people basically prefer answers to questions. And so the, the people who have the certitude, the ones who know what the truth is, they're the ones that uh, seem to be attracting more followers in, in the modern period. It does seem that way. Uh, so your book is out as of today, is that right? That's right. Came out today. Well, congratulations on it. How can I mean, it'll be available pretty much uh, all the places that one yeah. that one would find a book. It's uh, Simon and Schuster. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much, uh, Dr. Ehrman, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, and good luck to you. OK, thanks very much. Bye bye. Well, wasn't that fun? Yeah, what a what a great interview. Very that, very informative. That guy knows his stuff. Yeah, so go, I might I might have to read a book. I know it. It's hard. Ugh. All those words and whatever. It doesn't even have pictures. I know that's rough. Yeah. Anyway, uh, do go get his books. Uh, all of them, if you want to. Um, hey, thanks again to Bart Ehrman for coming on the show. Thanks to uh, to you, Mark, yes, sir. Yes, sir. For filling in, boy, what a what a treat it is to have you. Well, it's it's so good to be back, and we wish Frank well and a speedy recovery. Indeed, indeed. Uh, if you, ladies and gentlemen, would like to participate in the conversation, if you have anything you'd like to let us know about, you can do so by writing into us. Podcast at thankgodimatheist.com is the email address to write to, or you can leave a voicemail. That's four two four six 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 eight four four two four two four six six six. TGIA, that's 666, that's like the devil, and then TGIA. Oh, my Lord. It's like our show. What have I been drawn into here? Indeed, we're very bad. Yes. Uh, so do that. Uh, go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Atheist, and click that like button. And while you're there, do the TGIA members only lounge. That's a fun thing to do. Speaking of the Facebook, thanks so much to Mackenzie for all of her hard work on the Facebook page. She's kind of amazing. Kind of awesome. Uh, thanks to Danny, Sarah, and Amy for their work moderating the Members Only Lounge. Uh, you've got one, why don't you? Yeah, do thanks to the Red Rock Hot Club, who did their cool gypsy jazz. It's so fun every time I hear it start the show. It sure as fuck is. Yeah. Uh, and also thanks to Gordon Johnson for the use of his music, although I, we, we didn't use it this time. But you know what? He's a great guy. Thanks anyway. He is a great guy. Uh, and thanks uh, to you, fine listener, for tuning in. We sure do appreciate it when you do. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.